Mosaic believes that the church is designed to be a genuine community of people, creating a safe space of belonging for all, seeking to serve our neighbors with the compassion of God, providing opportunities to learn to be more like Jesus, and living life well together. This can't happen in a one-hour time slot on Sunday mornings, yet we desire to be a worshiping, missional community in Clayton, North Carolina. Visit MosaicClayton.com or find us on Facebook, Mosaic Church of Clayton. Because let's be honest, um, it is good to be together, um, but it's also good to be at home in bed under the covers um, or on the couch under a blanket. So um, thank you for being here, um, for being committed to one another, and for being committed to the process of continuing to grow in discipleship and community and and all that God has asked us and called us to be. Um, That is why we are here this morning, and that's why we come out in the rain. Um, You can give your opinions about the heaters. It's not a go yet. Um, We did, um, if you came in, we managed to um, trip some uh, switches. Um, As we were getting them set up, we have found the maximum capacity, in case you're wondering. Um, It is one less heater than we've got currently plugged in. Um, So we we know what what our limit is now. Um, A few years ago, I showed up at a church in Northern Virginia, um, it was Memorial Day weekend. It was really hot. It was raining and like like that kind of thick humidity that like you can just like you feel like you're walking through like a wet blanket outside, but it's like a sauna. Um, and about it was an early service. I was supposed to preach two services, and I showed up for the early service. And um, about 15 minutes before I arrived, the power had gone out, but only in like part of the worship service, or part of the worship space. It was a pretty big space. It was a small congregation in a really big sanctuary, which is not uncommon. And um, so in the back of the sanctuary um, still had air conditioning. The front of the sanctuary did not. So we did a, an acoustical kind of setup. Um, I preached um, and was having to yell because there was no microphone and everybody wanted to sit back where there was air conditioning. And, and I should have probably just in the middle of it like gone and, um, you know, stood in the middle and like yelled and stood on a pew or something. But, but I was trying to just, just trying to push through, just trying to go through it. And so the whole time, like there's just sweat dripping down everywhere. It is not pretty. And I'm yelling the whole time. Well, during the service, the electric company showed up, um, and, um, a squirrel had been chewing on, uh, the, um, the box outside, what's that called? The transformer, had been chewing on the wires going into the transformer. Um, the squirrel had met an unfortunate fate that morning. Um, that is, that is what tripped half of the church for the power to go off. Um, the awkward part was not so much that the squirrel had died, um, but that um, the associate pastor, at, I think when a woman showed up, he sometimes I get, you know, we're not, we're all still growing comfortable with that maybe, but um, he was really uncomfortable with that. And so throughout the whole Sunday school hour and, and into the next worship service as we were setting up, he kept wanting to show me the picture. He took a picture of the 
fried squirrel on the transformer and kept wanting to show it to me. Um, and I was like, I really, really don't want to see that. No, thank you, though. I appreciate it. So I'm sitting in the pastor's study during the Sunday school hour, kind of trying to cool off and uh, regain my voice. And um, when the power came back on, all of the fire alarms came on through all of the alarms, all the, the fire alarm, the security system, all of it. And it's like the box is like right inside the church office. So it's ringing really loud. Um, and they couldn't figure out how to shut it off because, of course, the pastor wasn't there. It was Memorial Day weekend. He was on vacation. So they're trying to, trying to shut that off. Um, the second service was a little bit better. There's, there's more stories there. Um, the, 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 it was one of those mornings where you really work for the little bit that sometimes you're paid in an honorarium to preach somewhere. Um, but at the end of the service, uh, as I was greeting people leaving after the 11 o'clock service, uh, there was one gentleman who was a little too excited maybe that there was a woman preaching and um, took the opportunity to keep getting hugs. And, um, but he, the best part, though, was that he gave me some sermon illustrations that I could use. And he told me I could use them. Uh, I'll give this one to you for free. Um, but he told me that, uh, you know why on the cross that Jesus said to the other, uh, the other um, person who was on the cross next to him, uh, you know, or that's what he said. That's, this is not where it's quoted. Um, you know, as far as the east is to the west, your sins are forgiven. He said, you know why he said that? Because if you go north to south around the earth, there's poles. It stops. If you go east to west, it's continuous. I think he thought that there were actually poles, like poles sticking up at the north and the south pole. And so the forgiveness would stop as it hit that pole and couldn't keep going. But he told me I could use that one for free. So, um, you know, a breaker here. As long as I don't have to look at pictures of dead squirrels this morning, we are off to a great start. Um, this morning, we are celebrating the baptism of Jesus. If you didn't kind of get that maybe there was a water theme, it wasn't just because it's raining buckets outside. Um, that just happened to be a great coincidence. Uh, in the, the church years, we talked about last Sunday, this is the Sunday in which we celebrate Jesus's baptism, and we remember our own. And so um, that is, that's going to be our, our gospel passage this morning. We're going to be in the book of Luke in chapter 3, um, starting in 15 starting in verse 15. Luke three fifteen, As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Skipping over to verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized... And when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Ernest Hemingway once wrote a short story called The Capital of the World. In it, he told the story of a father and his teenage son who were estranged to one another. The son's name was Paco. He had wronged his father, 
As a result, in his shame, he had run away from home. In the story, the father searched all over Spain for Paco, but still could not find the boy. Finally, in the city of Madrid, in a last desperate attempt to find his son, the father placed an ad in a daily newspaper. The ad read, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana, noon, Tuesday. All is forgiven, Papa. The father in Hemingway's story prayed that the boy would see the ad, and then maybe, just maybe, he would come to the Hotel Montana. On Tuesday at noon, the father arrived at the hotel. When he did, he couldn't believe his eyes. An entire squadron of police officers had been called out in an attempt to keep order among 800 young boys. It turned out that each one of them was named Paco, and each one of them had come to meet his respective father and find forgiveness in the front of the Hotel Montana. 800 boys named Paco had read the ad in the newspaper and had hoped it was for them. 800 Pacos had come to receive forgiveness they so desperately desired. Son Sean Dietrich, a folksy author who tells down-to-earth stories about rural America that are, this one's actually true, uh, tells this story. A gas station, the middle of the night. Tony stepped by, stopped by the store every evening. He came for the food and the company. The night shift cashier gave him hot dogs and egg rolls, lukewarm from the warming rack. She did this instead of throwing them away. She did this because she liked Tony. Tony, a nice homeless man with yellowed beard, gentle spirit, and dusty skin. A man who occasionally smelled like whiskey. The two would sit on the sidewalk during the wee hours. They'd swap cigarettes, stories, laughter. He was a spiritual man. He told her about himself. In another life, he'd been a fella who was working his way through seminary. A 30-something man trying to do something worthwhile. Then his pregnant wife died in an interstate accident. He lost two people in one day. And he lost himself. Anyway, Tony listened to her too. She told him about boyfriend problems, her runaway father, her unstable mother. She looked forward to his visits. They helped each other with late-night boredom. They helped each other, period. He gave her advice. She brought him clothes. He gave her presents on her birthday. One particular week, Tony never showed. She sat on the sidewalk waiting. No signs. She felt like something wasn't right. She called the hospital. The voice on the phone said, yeah, we've got a homeless guy here, been here a, a few days. He belonged to you? Tony had checked himself in. He told doctors he couldn't breathe. His chest infection had become pneumonia. He was dehydrated. She visited when she got off work. She lied to the nurses and said she was family. They knew better, but they looked the other way. She found him in a bed with tubes connected to him. She sat in the chair beside him. When his eyes opened, she handed him a, a greasy paper bag. I made these fresh, she said. Hot dogs and egg rolls, straight from the warming rack. He grinned at her and coughed. It was his way of saying thank you. He ate, but he was too sick to do much more. He tapped two fingers against his mouth every few minutes. He wanted to smoke. So she placed an unlit cigarette between his lips to pacify him. Before she left, 
He asked her to pray for him. Me, she said. He folded his hands. She did the best she could, but she was rusty. When she finished, he touched her hand and said, I love you. I love you too, she said. Tony didn't make it. But there's a picture on her refrigerator. It's an old photo. She's got her arm around a bearded man. She's wearing a cashier uniform. He's eating an egg roll. The photo is ancient history now. She's not a young girl anymore. Today, she works for a local hardware store. It's a good job, but she's only doing it to help raise her kids and pay for her own schooling. She takes weekend classes, some online courses. I ask what she's studying. She tells me she's in seminary. It's weird, she says. Three little words from someone is all it took to change the direction of my life. There is power in being seen and being loved just for who we are. Not for anything we've accomplished. Not being loved overtly in spite of anything that we've done. Being constantly reminded that we don't deserve it. It's what we all want at our core. To be seen and to be loved. There is power of being forgiven. Knowing that we are enough to love just as we are. Even with our past mistakes and our misguided attempts. Luke's account of Jesus' baptism is, is an interesting account. Luke has given us like all of the words to describe Jesus' birth. We know all of the details. We know the full story. And yet here when we come to his baptism, there's kind of scant details that we're given. We're just given the basics. The people are anxious, we know. They're oppressed by a foreign government. Most of their religious leaders of the day do not protect the most vulnerable among them. They've grown comfortable. They have what they need, and, and that's enough for them. And so they blindly focus on the rules. Finding ways to make money off of the poor, off of those who, who just want to be faithful more than anything. Want to be in right relationship with God. They create impossible lists of rules, and they, they box God into those rules. The people are wanting more, and, and along comes John the Baptist. They like his fiery words. They like his promise for a kind of vengeful Jesus, as we see in, in his words in today's scripture. This is who John was. He was a prophet. He spoke loud and challenged the political and spiritual leaders in, in a loud and brash way. At first, the people like that. It's, it's like a you-tell-them kind of attraction they have to him. But then the Messiah comes along, Jesus, and he just gets in line with all of the others who are being baptized, just joins right in amongst them in Luke's text. We aren't even told that anyone really pays any attention. He gets in line with all of those human bodies wanting to be seen and loved, wanting to have enough food for their families, wanting to be relieved of the shame they feel from knowing they will never measure up. He gets in line with the powerless, the poor, because that is who is going to the desert to be baptized. It wasn't those comfortable in the system, those with the place and with power. And he just gets right in there with them. And then in Luke's account, after he is baptized, Jesus prays. Jesus prays a lot in the stories of Luke. We'll hear that over and over again. Luke really wants to hit home the point that Jesus is fully dependent on God for his power. 
He wants us to know that, that Jesus is the perfect blend of, of holy and human. And that he is deeply connected to God. God is moving and powerful through Jesus and is entering our world, breaking forth in a miracle that redeems us. Did you know that as modern Baptists, we trace our roots back to the 1600s? This was a time kind of like what we read about in scripture where the people were wanting more. Except in the 1600s, there was kind of constantly this desire to be the more pure Christian, to get the next best way of understanding what it meant uh, to follow scripture, to be the most accurate way of being a Christian. During this time in Amsterdam, a guy named John Smith, a minister, and his lay supporter, Thomas Helwes, together with those they led, broke with the other English exiles that were also living in Amsterdam. Because Smith and Helwes were convinced they should be baptized as believers and not as infants. In 1609, Smith first baptizes himself and then begins to baptize others in the same kind of moment. The story goes that all this baptizing was happening like in a fountain in the middle of the city. As word spread about these, this crazy scene and as the movement grew, people started calling those who believed in believer's baptism, not baptizing as an infant and baptizing in full immersion, which, you know, is when you get fully dunked, uh, not just sprinkled. Meaning, they started calling these folks Baptists. Those Baptists. And it's, it's not a kind term. It was kind of a term to, to pick on them. It meant, they meant it in a bad way. It came from a bad place. Like, there go those crazy baptizers. The interesting and maybe a little crazy thing is that soon after, John Smith wanted to go even further. He didn't feel like the movement was pure enough and right enough. He started to believe and doubt his own self-baptism and believe that it wasn't enough. And so he broke off from the group and took things even further in another direction. It's nothing new that people are in search of the next religious thing, the next thing that will provide all of the answers, the next thing that will make them feel like they are enough. In any relationship where one side has all of the power, there cannot be true love. Father Richard Rohr says, the isolated ego cannot imagine infinite and gratuitous love. Until we receive the gospel on a cellular level, the little mind processes reality in some form of of tit for tat. As a result, people spend more time fearing and trying to control God than actually loving God. In fact, we do not really know how to love God. When one party has all of the power, which is for many the very definition of God, the only natural response is fear, denial, hiding, or seeking to manipulate the situation. The flow of giving and receiving in a love relationship is not possible with such an imbalance of power. Love requires some capacity for equality and mutuality. The only way for this pattern to change is for God, from God's side, to shift the power equation and come to us in a vulnerable position. Seeing God in the form of a small baby radically illustrates the shift in power. So not only does God shift the whole power structure and coming to earth and then being baptized in human form right, right among the other humans, 
But this blessing from God, these words, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, these words come before Jesus has done anything in his ministry. We'll keep moving forward in Luke and the coming Sundays and, and we'll look at some great miracles of Jesus and sometimes that Jesus has a powerful teaching and doesn't perform a miracle. But right now, he's done nothing except leave home and begin his ministry. I'm, I'm a high achiever. If you're familiar with the Enneagram, I'm a three. And the personality assessment that I'm certified in, Workplace Big Five, you can, you can use measurement words for me like focused, challenger, achiever. I like to keep working towards goals. I have eyes that see how things can always be better, what needs to be done next. And obviously, because it's my personality, I think there's a lot of good that comes with that personality trait. But, but part of the problem with this personality type is that we tend to see our worth in achieving, in success, and what we believe we've earned. And I don't think that's just true of, of my personality type. Father Richard Rohr also says, free and unearnable love is a humiliation for an egocentric or, or narcissistic personality. We have no control over it. Only a radical experience of grace can move us beyond the self-defeating and tired storyline of reward and punishment, in which almost all lose. Only a deeply personal experience of unearned love can move us beyond a worldview of arbitrary requirements to a worldview of abundance and availability. I love those words, abundance and availability. I do want to clarify that I have not been diagnosed with narcissism as an official psychological diagnosis, don't worry. But I do think that, like a lot of us, I struggle with feeling like enough and feeling like too much at the same time. I struggle with proving my worth. We've built whole religions on that, but the truth is, when, when we get in line, like Jesus did with all of humanity, all of the brokenness, all of the pain of the world, we hear the same words from God. You are my beloved just because you are. I love you. I forgive you. I see you right where you are. With all of your faults, all of your mistakes, all of your misunderstandings, all of your successes, all of your potential, and all of the things that you will never achieve. God says with all of that, I am pleased with you. I am pleased with how you are created because I created you. This morning as we reflect on the story of Jesus' baptism, as we reflect on the story of, of all those Pacos and of, of Tony and the gas station clerk and our own story, God is saying to each of us, you are my beloved and you I am well pleased this morning, as we remember the baptism of Jesus, and as we remember our own baptisms, um, we want to offer a blessing this morning. We're going to do a little something different. Again, I'm going to ask you to go with me on something different on, an, on the second Sunday in a row here. But Caitlin, Michael, and I are going to be at the front, and we would like to offer a, a small blessing as we 
transition into a closing song that'll be our song of response here in a minute. Um, we're going to play the Carrie Underwood video again for you to reflect on. Um, and we've got bowls of water. And um, as you come forward to either one of us, um, we're just going to make a little sign of the cross on your head and, and offer a blessing. If you're really freaked out with us touching your head, you can put out your hand and we'll be happy to do it there. Um, but we want this to be a space in which you remember that you are God's beloved and you, God, is well pleased.